technology is on the rise and it's time for us dental students to get in the know. Welcome to On the Cusp, a podcast segment of the business of drilling, where students help students learn about dental technology. Welcome back to On the Cusp. My name is Rachel and my co-hosts are... Hey everyone, I'm Seb. Hi guys, I'm Elena. And once again, we're three second-year dental students. We teamed up with Debbie Academy, which is a student-run group that aims to educate dental students on financial and business literacy. It is the third episode of our new technology segment, so let's explore the world of 3D printing and digital workflows. So today we're excited to introduce to this month's OTC discussion, Dr. Mark Bashara. Dr. Bashar completed his BSD at the University of Western Ontario and followed this with his Doctorate of Dental Surgery at the Schulich School of Medicine and Dentistry. After graduation, he carried on to practice in the Durham region in Ontario, and his focus has been on dental implants, digital workflow, bone grafting, and material and tissue regeneration. He's also the founder and president of the Canadian Implant Dentistry Network, also known as CIDN. Dr. Bashara is an active educator and has a passion for implant dentistry. With his fully digital lab and commitment to the world of digital dentistry, we're pleased to introduce Dr. Mark Bashara. Thanks for having me on your show, guys. I'm very happy to be reconnecting with the UWO gang and seeing what everybody at Western is up to. So this is going to be a good discussion on an area of dentistry I'm really passionate about. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for joining us. And yeah, shout out to uh, Western alumni, right? For sure. <laughs> so let's get right into it. Um, so seeing that our conversation today is about 3D printing, uh, could you start us off with maybe a brief description of what 3D printing is? Sure. So 3D printing is essentially a, a process in which we can make a 3D object from a digital file. So this is done using by a process in which we're basically stacking or adding layer by layer of a material until an object is created. So imagine like you're stacking a number of thin slices of paper incrementally to create that 3D object. So in essence, that's what 3D printing is. You're simply adding layer by layer until you form that 3D object from a digital file. And you can 3D print uh, anything which has a digital file associated with it. Um, and so when it comes to dentistry, how does 3D printing lend itself to that? So for us as dentists, what can we do with this? And what can we apply the technique of 3D printing to digital workflow? So for example, for us as dentists, we're interested in working models, or for example, in making surgical guides for implant surgery, or for making temporaries, like making uh, temporaries, for uh, example, a cosmetic case, and much more. So essentially, with 3D printing, it's the exact opposite of what we do in terms of milling. So for example, when you send a crown to your lab, your lab will actually cut or mill that crown out of a solid object. So with 3D printing, we're doing doing the exact opposite. We're actually uh, building, like I said, slice by slice, that, that object. So it's uh, it's a really a neat feature in terms of dentistry because it allows us to skip having stone models and uh, create a lot of unique things that you can offer uh, to the patient on the same day. And what do you find 
you're using the most using 3d printing for the most in your office i would say right now a lot of uh, the application has been in making night guards you would not believe the amount of people that have been clenching and bruxing especially during covid so we can actually uh, make 3d printed thermoplastic night guards on 3d on the printer itself so this is uh quite nice because if somebody breaks it or has an issue with it we can just 3d print it again and again and the cost is very low on this it's uh around a dollar or two of just resin that we have to use in each case could you uh maybe run us through a like a play-by-play of say the patient walks into to your office all the way to the end of fabricating this it really depends on how much of the work you want to do yourself and how much you're going to delegate for example to a lab outside so for us we're lucky because we have a full digital lab so what does that mean it's not just me working there we have two full-time technicians who are dedicated to the process but in essence if you came into the office and you need a night guard, for example, we're gonna digitally scan your mouth and that creates an STL file. So it's basically a 3D image file, which then gets sent to our design software. So there's two main design software um, that are used in dental. And one of them is called ExoCAD, which is very similar to um, AutoCAD, which is used in automotive, but essentially, ExoCAD is used in the dental field and it's uh, it's got different modules. So for example, you can make dentures, you can uh, make surgical guides, you can fabricate whatever you want. And there's a, a module, for example, for making night guards. So you essentially bring that file in, you design the night guard, and then that has a file, which then that, uh, needs to be sent to the 3D printer. And that process is called nesting. So nesting essentially just tells the machine that that file is going to be oriented or laid out on the printing uh, bed or the platform in that specific orientation. And at that point, it takes uh, anywhere from 20 minutes to an hour to print that file. Um, You mentioned 20 minutes to an hour. Is there ever a case where you have to rebook uh, the patient for a, a second appointment or is it usually just same day? Um, it depends on the application. Like if we're doing night guard, they're not going to get it same day. There's no reason to rush that. But for example, if you've seen some of the work, like probably on Instagram or uh, on our Facebook platform, some uh, surgeries, for example, we're applying 3D printing now. Uh, for example, we're doing sedation surgery. And if we're doing, uh, for example, an implant procedure where the patient's sedated, we can actually take the design of the software that's made ahead of time and incorporate data from the time of surgery and then take that and modify it. And then on the same day that they're being sedated, deliver a temporary uh, set of teeth off the printer and have them walk out with it. So normally what we used to do is we'd have to, for example, make a denture or uh, do uh, the process like next day, but now we can 3D print something like that on the same day. 
but not everything needs to be done the same day. You know, sometimes, you know, there's no urgency on a night guard case or, um, you know, if you're doing a cosmetic, uh, uh, cosmetic workup, you can just tell the patient to come back in an hour or two or just sit in the waiting room while it's being finished. Right, right, right. Okay. And how do you feel the uh, accuracy of the printing is? Are you happy with what comes out? Um, how do you check that you're, you are happy with what has come out of the printer? Could you just step us through that? Yeah. So, I mean, this is a good question because you know, I got into digital work probably, I'd say, a year or two after dental school. And there's a lot of hesitancy from people to accept this as accurate. They say, well, look, I can do this with PVS or I can get things as accurate with analog. So depending on the kind of printer that you use, for example, we used to have uh, misfit issues. And that's where, you know, remember I talked to you about milling, like, for example, if you're milling your crown, it's cut out of uh, a block out of of that material, and it's cut into shape. So for printing, if you don't get a printer that's accurate enough for what you're trying to do, for example, if you're uh, making a model, you have to uh, verify your dyes for your crowns. If that's not accurate enough, your crown's not going to fit or your bridge is not going to fit. So you need to ensure that you get a printer that's uh, not the cheapest printer because the accuracy of the printer may not do the job. And maybe for a night guard, it doesn't matter. But if you're doing, for example, dies for a crown, your accuracy needs to be uh, much higher. So I would say like, it's not just about the material that you're using. It's not just about the software. It's making sure that you get something that's uh, reproducible and it's not going to cause issues but really the only way to check it is by actually testing it you know i've had uh, some cases where simply things did not fit as they as they should from labs simply because their printer was of a lower quality so you touch a bit on these different printers that you should consider if you were to set up maybe a, a dream digital lab um what type of printers, what kind of setup would you be looking for? So I'll give you like basically a rundown of what's out there. So there's two uh, types of printings uh, or printing options. So one's called SLA and one's called DLP. So these are the two main types of printing technology. So SLA is stereolithography and DLP is digital light processing. So in uh, SLA, you basically have liquid resin, and that's exposed to a laser beam across the print area. And that basically takes that uh, liquid resin and makes it into a solid. So DLP uses the same uh, chemical process, but it uses a digital projector as a light source. And I know this sounds confusing, but in essence, either if you get a printer that uses SLA or DLP, you get the same end result. Now, the only thing that it comes down to, if you're gonna run, for example, like you said, a dream lab is, um, you know, what kind of volume are you producing? If you're a single dentist, your volume of production is gonna be different than a big lab. So what we call the build plate or the size of what we're creating, maybe you can fit 10 models on one printer, you can only fit maybe five models on a different printer. 
So for example, if you're a bigger lab, you're going to want to have something that has the capability to produce a lot of uh, models. So the speed of that printer is also going to come into play at that point. So, you know, getting, uh, a, you know, a printer can range from $2,000 all the way to $300,000 printers. Realistically, if you want a good one, you're going to be investing anywhere between a ten dollars to $15,000 mark, basically. So something that we can't purchase right out of dental school then. <laughs> no, you can. It depends what you're at, what you're applying. Like, you know, if you're okay to wait, it's going to, uh, you can get something, uh, for example, in the four to $5,000 mark because the bill plate will be smaller on it. But if you're making like hobby toys or making night guards, you can probably get a $500 printer but know that there's limitations with those. For example, the software is not calibrated to each, for example, uh, resin profile. So you have to enter this information manually or make sure that that uh, resin has been calibrated to that printer. So there's much more work that you may have to do with these uh, kind of uh, lower brand uh, name printers. But you can, if you want to play with one, you can get one certainly at a lower cost and and test it out. So some hope for us. <laughs> oh, for sure. Rachel, did you have a did you have a question there, Rachel? I was cutting you off. Oh yeah, I was just gonna ask, like, was there a specific maybe like drive um for you to incorporate 3D printing into like your practice or your workflow where you're like I really do need this technology to enhance kind of like XYZ? Right. So I mean for us, I'll tell you one thing, like. We have two offices, for example, and I don't want to pour stone models. I want to send the files digitally. So if I'm sending it from one location to another, I'm scanning and then sending the files right to the uh, to the lab, right, and to, into our software. So it doesn't make sense to go from digital scanning to stone model, and that stone model would have to, again, again, get scanned. You know, when you send a, a stone model to your lab to make a crown, they're not going to do a wax up on the stone model. They're taking your stone model and they are uh, essentially desktop scanning that model into the software. So if you have a 3D printer, we're essentially using it to verify what well, was done. So we're verifying the contacts of the crown. We're verifying the occlusion at the end of that crown. So it's essentially uh, a way to make a stone model without stone. Because, you know, if you make a stone model, you have distortion, you have, uh, you know, you could have pull of your impression, you have evaporation of the water. All those factors come into play. With this, you don't have that. It's being a little more generally. In the world of dentistry as a whole, do you think 3D printing is underutilized right now? I think the problem is people don't know what to do because I have friends who bought printers and they don't use them. So, you know, it depends what aspects of the process you want to do yourself. So for us, we're working still with our technicians. We're working uh, as a team. You know, end of the day, as dentists, we're busy enough 
enough to do the dentistry. So I'm not going to sit necessarily and design myself the night guard and then uh, do the processing or the cleanup of what comes out of the printer. So I'm lucky to work with a team, but I can guide them on what I want. So I understand like what I want out of the crown design. I want, I understand what I want out of uh, an implant crown. So I can guide them. But if somebody wants to get into things and start 3D printing, I would say the, the kind of the right path to take would be to get into digital scanning first. Once they've mastered that for a number of years, then they can, uh, can go into uh, you know printing or even milling their own crown work. Is there a big difference between milling a crown versus 3D printing a crown? Well, I mean, you cannot um, 3D print permanent crowns. The materials that are out there, they're indicated as long-term temporaries. Okay. So in terms of uh, strength, for example, uh, you, cannot, uh, you cannot have something like a 3D printed zirconia crown as of yet. I know like they're they're doing that now, testing on these kinds of materials. Yeah, I see I saw there are a couple European places that were doing this. Exactly. Um, so it may be coming, maybe coming. Yeah. So I mean, like, for example, they just had uh, like a digital dental society meeting, and there's talks about printing zirconia, doing this and that. But like I'm uh, like I told you guys, 3D printing, it's stacking layer by layer versus milling we're cutting it out of that block so you know maybe in the next few years we'll be able to just 3d print everything right but you know we have a mill at our office and a 3d printer it's different indications for what we're doing so how has the um digital workflow influenced let's say your relationship with your lab technicians as as the communication changed and how did you kind of build that when you were thinking about having a digital practice yeah so i mean we started off for example with doing digital scanning we would send to a a third party lab and then we said well let's start doing some stuff ourselves so we started to do uh do single unit crowns ourselves and then when we wanted to grow bigger, we bought, you know, actually it's a full scale uh, lab mill. So now we can do uh, single crowns, bridges, uh, implant bridges, basically essentially what a lab does. But if you have the ability to 3D print things in a digital workflow, you can do mock-ups. And that's crucial because some cases need uh, mock-ups and you have to test them in the mouth. So being able to 3D print something and try it in the mouth, you can toss it away. It costs a dollar of resin to 3D print something. And you can have that uh, verified prior to spending a lot of money on your final. So normally, you know, if you're doing a wax up in dental school, this would be done by hand. The labs are not doing this when you are sending, sending the case to them. They're taking your stone model, scanning it, and making the same thing uh, digitally. So nobody's doing uh, the wax up 
by hand, but you guys are doing that now in dental school. So you understand kind of like the struggles of what people did back in the day. But, you know, in reality, this is no one's doing this in real life, right? Do you feel that this, um, it's, a, it's a bigger digital community now? Would you say that a lot of practices are following a similar model to what you're doing? Are you alone out there or um, do you see lots of others like this? I don't think many are doing what we are doing. I would say maybe 20% of practices are digitally scanning and sending it to a lab. I would say less than 5% actually have their own uh, lab, but you know, it depends on the kind of work that they want to get into, right? So for us, doing this kind of work and then sending it to uh, a lab outside, it just did not make sense. So now we have more control over the whole process. What would you say is frustrating about working with the digital workflow? Yeah, I mean, look, it's not like uh, magic. Like if if your if your if your margin is not clear, your scanner is not going to fix that. If you have uh, poor records, it's not going to fix that. So, you know, as long as you understand the process and like understand the limitations of what you're doing, then you'll get good results. So for example, it's not the best uh, at capturing soft tissue, for example. So when, uh, you know, you have to understand like, for example, digital scanner, it only sees uh, data that's continuous, for example. So when you do a digital scan, it's essentially capturing uh, image by image. And these images are uh, basically uh, linked to create a 3D object. But if you, for example, show this scanner uh, a big edentulous span, it's going to get confused. It doesn't understand what this tissue is. So you have to trick it. So sometimes you... Uh, Put, uh, blo uh, put blobs of flowable on the tissue or uh, draw X's and O's on the tissue. Why? So that the machine can understand that this is the same area and can uh, stitch the data together. So if you understand the limitations of what's there, then you can have great success. But if you get frustrated or your preps are not good, then the machine's not going to fix that. To learn these ins and outs of using the scanner then, and I guess using the data that comes out from that, was this a steep learning curve for you? I mean, I, it sounds like you have to get a little creative with the X's and O's there. <laughs> um, No, like these are little tricks. I mean, you learn these things like from discussing with people and you guys are young enough that you'll pick this up on, you know, without issue. Like, you know, you're on the, you know, iPhone and Instagram generation. Like this will be, you know, an hour you'll be scanning. Like my associate now is a year or two out of dental school. And I'd even train her on the scanner. You know, she picked it up and, and no issue. She understands what she's doing as you're, you have an open mind you're not going to go back um as a dentist who's like 
clearly very well versed in technology and integrating that into practice. Are there maybe like top two, top three dental technologies that you would suggest for students to kind of be looking into kind of keeping in the back of our mind despite learning more conventional methods in the undergraduate DDS programs that when we do leave our four years, we kind of already are starting to think of certain things right off the bat. So for us, I mean, I would say having an intraoral scanner was crucial. Next, CBCT. So seeing things in 3D has been crucial and being able to diagnose in 3D. Um, another third, I would say, I mean, is the 3D printing ability in our lab. But if I had to rank them, I would say intraoral scanning. And probably I put having a CBCT in the office has been uh, kind of a, a game changer for us, not having to wait to get the results. Because on the spot, I can scan the patient and say, look, this is what we see. And this is what you know the solution is going to be. So there's no waiting. This is getting me excited now. <laughs> I, I'm, a, I'm pretty, I'm looking forward to having these, these freedoms once we leave school. And I understand that we have to le learn um, the conventional methods right now. But it's it's good to be thinking about this, you know, really take a look at, okay, did those casts, what are the problems with them? What are the benefits of them? Um, so it's, it's good to hear that these are the technologies to keep in mind and something to look forward to. Yeah, you guys, you'll get there. But, you know, I still remember doing the occlusion wax ups in second year. Blue and red and green and <laughs> all the who's is dr jensen still teaching that yeah 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 he is <laughs> i had him this morning in operative <laughs> i mean we went over a lot of things i would say you know i would say like don't look at the cost as one factor for printing again like if i tell people uh, or other dentists as far as uh the ROI on printing, even if you do night guards only, you will make that back because the cost of the resin to, to print a night guard is only a few dollars, for example. So don't look at cost for these items. The cost will come back to you many folds in terms of the return of uh, on investment, right? So you have to invest in... Just have to remember to use it. <laughs> yeah, you have to use it. And, you, you know, you have to kind of like put in, invest in yourself, right? And if uh, people have questions, they can uh, shoot me a message on uh, Instagram or Facebook. You know, it's nice to see what you guys are doing at Western and very cool initiative. Yes, thank you.
So Dr. Bashara, thank you so much again for talking to us about 3D printing and all things dental tech. Um, and as we mentioned in the intro, you are the president of the Canadian Implant Dentistry Network. So now we've neared the end of our discussion on 3D printing. Um, if you'd like to share a few words um, about the Canadian Implant Dentistry Network, maybe how we created the foundation, its mission, um, whatever you'd like, the floor is yours. So they and Dentistry Network, actually, it was an idea we I started, I would say, four years ago. And the idea was to connect dentists, students, and technicians, everybody together to try and elevate the level of education that's currently being taught, at least uh, Canada side. So we had a number of speakers, a number of courses that we run in person, online. And the focus is on education around implant dentistry, digital dentistry. So, you know, uh, people are more than welcome to attend. We run a number of uh, hands-on courses in person now. That, uh, COVID restrictions have started to ease up. So people are uh, welcome to check that out. And, you know, we have an online platform as well. So people are able to ask questions they can uh, you know uh, post cases and complications and they can kind of catch up and find out what the new stuff is just like you guys are asking about uh, printing in dental school which is something that's new i'm sure it's not being discussed probably commonly right now right so um, that's kind of the goal with our platform and Hopefully, uh, anybody that has questions can ask me uh, in person more about it. Great. Well, thank you, Dr. Bashara. Honestly, it's been a pleasure having you here with us today. And as usual, if anyone's interested in learning more, we'll be including links in our Spotify episode description, as well as on our On the Cusp page on the Debbie website. <laughs>